Hi, welcome to another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. I'm Peter Bulmer, owner of Cars Magazine and Jobber News. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring issues facing today's Canadian aftermarket professionals, sponsored by Sirius XM Canada. Sirius XM is making it possible to offer your customers three months of free satellite radio. Go to SiriusXM.ca slash four shops for details. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. As always, I'm your host, Peter Bulwer, and today I am joined by Wouter Witvoot, the CEO of the EV Technology Group. Thanks for coming on. Thanks a lot for, uh, for having me on today. My absolute pleasure. Now, before we dive too much into this, I actually did see a couple of announcements coming out of the EVT Group recently. Can you tell me a little bit about that before we start? Yeah, we had two major announcements today and also, uh, you know, the early in the, in the, in the month, we're kind of focused on uh, our primary objective of electrifying a chronic brand. So what we really try to do at EV Technology Group is, is there is a wealth of people out there, including myself, that drive cars for different reasons than going from, from A to B. And I think no one is really paying attention to that narrative. So we agreed to acquire uh, Moak International, which is the original producer of the Moak electric car that has been around since 1964, as our first uh, strategic brand acquisition uh, for the company. And then we complemented this today with another very strategic acquisition of the uh, acquisition of Fabling in the United Kingdom, which is you know one of the leading tier one manufacturing uh, companies that is also the contract manufacturer of the Moak. So combining these these two businesses really gives us both a, a brand, but also key manufacturing capabilities that we need in order to realize our vision of of electrifying iconic brands. I think yeah, we're just really excited that we can finally uh, talk about this now that we've been able to release the, the news this month. Yeah, that's amazing! Congratulations. We actually just went through a our first acquisition. Actually, um, we just bought a supply chain media property. So much smaller scale, but I can kind of imagine that that must have been tying up quite a bit of your time. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And now, the reason I wanted to have you on, obviously, talk EVs, talk sort of behind the scenes, behind the curtain, if you will, which doesn't really get a lot of attention, at least for our listenership. So let me start off out of the gate by asking you, now obviously, the surge of EV sales is putting some extra pressure on supply chains. So... Right now, where do you think that improvements can be made keeping up with A, consumer demand, and B, the continued growth of the industry and the continued growth of these buying habits? Yeah, I couldn't agree with, with that statement, of course, more. And the reason that's very topical is, you know, with our acquisition of Fabling today, that's exactly what we focused on is, is acquiring key manufacturing capabilities for our group. And as I, as I think, you know, through the question of where you can, where you can make improvements to keep up with customer demand, I think what's been happening in the industry is that because it's, it's a very nascent industry is that you'll, you'll see a lot of different companies and innovators trying to tackle the problem by themselves by creating, you know, their own standards, their own ways of doing things. And I think where a lot of improvements can be made is just around the standardization of components uh, of, of battery cells there, there will be some winners in this space like we've always seen when sort of a new industry comes up 
uh, I think that's that's where we, we will do like real improvements between the different yeah between the various different options that are, are available at the moment in the market, and that's what we're also looking for in, within our group. All right, right. Canada's federal budget recently committed almost four billion dollars over eight years to critical mining strategies. Now, the goal of this is to extract is to increase the extraction of nickel, lithium, cobalt, copper titanium, zinc, basically any sort of minerals coming out of the earth. Canada, of course, is kind of one of the people leading the charge in the EV market. So do you think this is where the initial investment should be made from Canada's point of view in order to kind of solidify their place as someone being on the forefront of EV, of pushing EVs, of EV adoption? Yeah, and when you look at you look at sort of country strategies, it's always a very interesting question because when you look at different companies, everybody sometimes wants to do certain things like doing the batteries or doing the powertrains or like the sort of the, the new things that are all the rage or, or, you know, the UK may have like its brands, but I, but I actually think that if countries focus on what they're really good at, this can help, you know, with the broad sort of EV, EV market that we see today. And of course, Canada has a very rich history in minerals and mining like et cetera. So I'm actually a big believer that, that this can help Canada be a leader on that front and let other countries do what they're good at. Like for, for brands, you might go to Italy or you might go to the United Kingdom for powertrains, you, you might go to, to, to like Germany. So I think if, if countries focus on what they traditionally have been good at, I think that can only help with the general strategy that, um, for the, for the entire EV sector. Yeah, and I mean, that's obviously one of Canada's main strengths is natural resources, particularly when it comes to mining. Right. If the government's ultimate goal is to create a domestic supply chain for EVs, and in doing so, boosting the economy at the same time as tackling greenhouse gas emissions, how much of an impact do you think that supporting EV production domestically would have on sustainability and environmental goals? Or, to put it another way, do you think that countries focusing on what they're good at, good at should be the primary focus and have a more globalized sense of the supply chain. Yeah, if you look at where Canada sits, like if, traditionally when you think about where, what Canada's good at, and it's, it's kind of, it's adding on to, that, on to the previous sort of discussion that we had, is Canada's not traditionally a car manufacturer. Like domestically, it doesn't have really the, maybe the scale and the demand that it has for purely utility vehicles which the primary focus is going from A to B. So I would question countries that are very focused on doing everything domestically in terms of the entire EV supply chain. I think it's always much more efficient to look at what is Canada good at, like where can it invest uh, and what can it do better than other countries? And maybe the United States, of course, is a, is a much bigger market, but it, it will have demand for batteries, for, for resources, which are very scarce and, and difficult to come by. And I think by by focusing on some of those things, I, can, I think it can actually help Canada in the long term and become like a, a key strategic player on the in the global uh, growth of uh, of the EV market. Yeah. So, so in other words, I guess simply put, would be focus on what you're good at. Don't try to do too much of everything. That that that's right. That's exactly right. Do you think that other countries would benefit from a strategy like this? I'm kind of racking my brain right now, trying to think of a company that kind of has it all, as it were. The only thing coming to mind really would be China or Russia, but I don't know how how big the EV market or the drive towards EVs would be there. 
Yeah, China, of course, has seen like a rapid adoption of EV and they're trying to do everything themselves. And, and they can because they also have the domestic market. So they will have some demands for their products at scale locally. If you look at countries that are kind of in between, you see, for example, the UK, which has a very strong brand heritage with car brands, including in the luxury segment, such as, you know, Rolls Royce that is, look, that is looking at like electrifying their fleet. You've got, you know, Aston Martin and McLaren in the luxury segment and performance uh, segment that are, you know, need to look at EV. And initiatives such as British Volt, which at the moment are not in production, but could support that local industry. So I would say that there's some countries kind of in between, but there's also opportunities for countries to really, yeah, sort of, sort of specialize. And, and it just really depends on like what your domestic or, 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 or demand is like close to home. And if you can actually defend having like a local sort of full scale, uh, EV production. Yeah. And even with the sort of demand for the, and the capability, moreover, of being able to produce there's a lot of talk about the shortage of minerals and how that might impact the production of EVs and then kind of trickling down by extension, consumer interest in EVs. Is this something we had to worry about or do you think that this is going to impede Canada's goals for electric vehicles? When you look at some studies, thought leaders that are out there say that if, if we want to electrify effort, you know, everything with the current minerals in terms of cobalt, lithium, etc., you know, we wouldn't be able to make enough cars. And you can debate whether that's true or not. I think the, the point is more that there is continuous innovation being done. Tesla used to have cobalt in most of their batteries. Now, I believe around half of their cars are no longer have the mineral in it because the technology has moved on. There's other technologies such as solid state and, and other potential technologies that leverage different kinds of minerals you know, built on different technologies. We have to see where the market pans out. But of course, there is work being done on hydrogen fuels and, and et cetera. And moving on from batteries, you see the same in powertrains. Like there are innovative uh, companies that actually can do without rare earth metals, even in the, on the powertrain. So I think people are always surprised what type of innovations are being worked on and, and you know, which are successful. But I think it's always technology that is, that is kind of driving us uh, ultimately. Yeah, but I mean, devil's advocate here, even with improving technology, you're still going to need some rare earth metals. The obvious exception being, you know, hydrogen cells that of course is enormously abundant, but there's going to be still a need for, you know, some rare earth metals in the construction and the refinery process regardless, right? Yeah, I think the worry should be more about like how this can these can be extracted in a most sustainable way. Like obviously what we want to get what we we should be focusing on what we want to get rid of is any sort of rare earth metals that come from conflict zones that are maybe not, you know, extracted in the most sustainable way. I think there's a lot of improvements that can be made there to make, to make sure that the entire supply chain of EV is as sustainable as possible. Because I doesn't just stop with sort of buying an EV. There's much more processes involved in, in getting you that car uh, on the road. Yeah. And on the topic of sustainability, if this shortage of critical minerals, materials for any country does arise, how do you think that's going to impact the you know, national targets to lower CO2 emissions? Because obviously electrification of cars is a big step that governments are focusing on in their mandates. It's a big step. I think what we've seen, of course, in the last, uh, definitely in what's going on globally with, with Russia and, and some of the situation in Europe as, as it relates to energy, 
governments, of course, want to do right. But what you've also seen is that some countries are either unable to enforce because they still still really depend on energy sources that rely on fossil fuels. And they've been more getting back on some of the agreements that they, they've made from environmental groups or, or global groups. So I, I think, you know, recent trends, of course, haven't been very favorable in terms of governments sticking to, uh, to national um, targets to start those. So that's uh, that's a trend that we've been observing for the last quarter, for sure. Yeah. Now, switching gears here for a sec, pun intended. <laughs> companies like Tesla have signed d- deals directly with mining companies to kind of bring in their own supply chains and their own supply of metals. But your sort of traditional or the big three, for instance, for GM, Chrysler, have fallen a little bit behind in that regard. Now, my question that I was wondering that you might be able to answer is, do you think Tesla's going the right way or does it not make sense for certain other automakers, maybe with less access to capital or they just don't have the same kind of vision or push towards EVs? What's really important to sort of start with is that what we have to recognize is that Tesla, because they are the first mover in the EV space, has always been a, a customer of its own product. By that, I mean that it it, ha- it had to build the entire supply chain from powertrain to inverter to battery into sort of all the electrical components that, that go into a Tesla and ultimately also a heavy reliance on rare earth metals and resources, uh, et cetera. The other sort of laggard companies, you, know, you mentioned GM, Toyota and others, like they are much more, and they'll probably don't like to be called that, but they're much more sort of assembly companies, especially when it relates to EV, because they typically partner on a lot of components with tier one suppliers, such as the you know supplier fabling that, that we that we announced our acquisition on today. Because they are more used to kind of managing a supply chain network, I think that's some of the reason that they've fallen somewhat behind to actually go and acquire uh, or do deals with companies on the resource side. Because They've just been later to the party, basically, and that's kind of why Tesla had to do that early on. In this sense, how would you say that your company, EVT Group, sets itself apart from the other auto players? Yeah, we've made a very conscious decision. As an auto company focused on the luxury EV segments, we we believe it's critical to have both the um, manufacturing capacity uh, in-house as well as the full supply chain purchasing and, and assembly capabilities. So we not only own uh, the brand Moog, but also uh, acquired Fabling just for this reason. And that, that just sets us apart for, from some of the auto, other auto manufacturers that look to either work with contract vehicle manufacturers or partners to create their vehicle. We, we prefer to have those uh, capabilities and secure that, uh, that supply chain in-house. I would assume that makes you better positioned to sort of weather some of today's challenges or be a little bit more insulated from risk. You know, when you focus on the luxury segment, which is inherently more sort of recession proof. So I think the opinions are still divided if we've officially entered a recession. But on the luxury segment, you typically see uh, a lot more um, uh, resilience to recession. And also uh, with our higher margin products, typically at lower volume, we are less susceptible to supply chain shocks or the like. And that that's kind of been very sort of positive for our group and kind of sets us apart from some of the other companies that really rely on you know, millions of cars uh, in terms of volume before they um, before they're successful. Right. Uh, Walter, do you want to add anything else before I let you go? I know we've been chatting for a little bit here. I don't want to keep you all day. 
<laughs> no, I think it's always very, um, very interesting. I think, look, we're, we're like a young company. We're, of course, looking at, at everything from resources to manufacturing capabilities to building, building out our iconic brands. And it's always interesting to discuss this with, uh, you know, yourself and, and your listeners. And, uh, yeah, look forward to keeping you up to date and uh, speaking in the future. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. And before I let you go, if any of our listeners have any questions or just want to talk about anything that we've discussed, how do they get in touch with you? So the best thing is to go to edcgroup.com to learn more about the company. And uh, my email is always wide open as well. So it's Wouter, W-O-U-T-E-R at edcgroup.com. Again, that's edcgroup.com. Let's all thank Wouter for coming on today. Thanks a lot for having me. And that's going to take us for another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. This has been another episode of Auto Service World Conversations with your host, Peter Bowler. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. And thank you, as always, to SiriusXM Canada for being our title sponsor.